Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How we doing, people? They're hanging in there. We're hanging in there, man. Got a new series yeah. for everybody. Yeah, we're 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 uh helping you guys along through this crazy time in life right now and in in, uh, in the world. Yeah, bringing some some type of consistency here with series. I, I kind of like doing these series. It's kind of fun. Kind of gets you in that frame of mind, and Absolutely. like being in that frame of mind for a longer period of time, you get to you get to grab other little things and other little instances, you know, throughout that that mold that add to each case. You know what I'm saying? Right. You start to see consistencies, and you can compare. I, I get this. I see why Esther from Once Upon a Crime does this. This is a good right. tech, this is a good uh, strategy here. I like this. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback on our uh, Lotto Winner series. It seems like people get more involved with the series is for some reason. They start mm-hmm. sending you different ones. So, yeah, more than welcome to send us some uh, options because we might carry this on for a little while. We're going to be doing a Scam Artist series, which we've done a right. couple scammers in the past, I realize. You know, yeah. we did Catch Me If You Can. Abagnale, yeah, Frank yeah, Abagnale. Frank Abagnale. Um, yep. And I guess you could almost say that... Uh, Who's the kid that stole planes and stuff? He was kind of a scam artist. Oh yeah, Colt. Yeah, Colt. Oh, Colt. He was more of just uh, a thief than anything yeah. else, though. He was he wasn't really tricking you. He was just sneaking around and stealing shit. Right. That's Jose Vagoa. Jose Vagoa was kind of a, a con artist in a way. He kind of scraped on it, but he was kind of like you said as well, more brazen too. He kind yeah, of yeah, more just of a heist these, type of a guy. Yeah, heist. Yeah, good point. Good yeah. point. These guys were would blatantly lie to your face and take your money. Straight you know, up con and offer artist. you services that didn't exist that, that were useless uh, for a premium. Oh so, yeah, no doubt. Different. You know what? You know what this got me thinking of? It's got me thinking of con artist movies. And you know what my favorite con artist movie is? What's that? Matchstick Men. Match. With, I don't think I've never seen that. Really? Yeah. Dude, with Nicolas Cage. Well, I do love the Cage man. I Bro. told you my story about being behind him in line. Yes, <laughs> to, I know. A few Listen, times. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell's in this. Oh shit! Yes, dude, Matchstick Men. You gotta check it out. One of the best con artist movies ever. And, well, I mean, to me, I don't know. Maybe it's just nostalgic. Maybe I just saw it at a certain point in my life, you know. But I, I think it's a great movie. I, I've seen it multiple times. I love it. Got to check it out. Came out in two thousand three. Okay. Yeah, it's actually labeled as like comedy, dark comedy, is what it's kind of labeled as. Um. I mean, I don't really know how funny it is, but it's it's definitely a good movie. You should nice. check it out. The Cage, man. Uh, is there an actor out there with a, more of a variety of films between like just complete absolute horseshit movies and then like some <laughs> really good movies? Like he yeah. will just take anything. Like Ghost Rider. My God, I tried to watch that hor- that just pile of dung. You don't like Ghost Rider? No, bro. It was, so, it was almost com- <laughs> it was almost watchable because it was so bad. But I I don't know. It was cringy bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's wrong? You just don't like Cage with it, or you don't like the story of Ghost Rider, no, the or the whole concept? He's a f- dude like a flaming skull riding a motorcycle. It was just so corny. Well, that's not his fault. That's been around forever, though. Yeah, that but they just never should have been done. Oh, okay. And he shouldn't have been in it. You know, it's t- <laughs> okay. pick better stuff, dude. He's been uh, okay. in some real crap, but then he's been in like Raising Arizona and gone. Uh, was it Gone in sixty seconds? It was gone great. in sixty seconds. The series, yes, love that movie, Eleanor. Yeah. He's been um, in some great movies. Yeah, he has. He has. But Matchstick Man, dude, one of the greats for me. So you guys should check that out if you haven't seen it. It's kind of a, a little gem, in my opinion. Okay. So. Yeah, well, I have a. I wasn't going to do this till later in the show, but I have a big, kind of a big announcement to make, and I wanted to surprise you with it on the show. 
Uh-oh. My wife and I have decided to move. So we're going to have to – the show is going to – it's going to be tough for a little while. But, Holy uh, shit. Where are you moving to? We're moving to uh, Idaho. Are you serious? Yeah. You're serious. You're seriously moving to Idaho. Yeah, Boise. You just bought your house. I know. Yeah, fuck And if you house, believe man. this, Michael. Listen, bro. If listen, you believe you this, tell me. I have a bridge to sell you, my friend. You have what? A bridge to sell you. You have a bridge to sell me? I do. Oh, I believe Beautiful. both of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking around. I hope uh, I caught you. Because this is the Scam Artist series, and uh, uh, the first guy we're doing sold bridges and uh, kind of bastard. coined that term. If I, if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you, so let's God. dive into this. <laughs> Damn it, Lorne. <laughs> All right, did you, start did, this did you hear the pause when I was trying to think of a place that I was moving to? <laughs> I was like, fuck, where well, do I move? <laughs> see, but that's not fair because you've told me before that you've, you like Idaho. And I know, you've been, right? That was not fair. That, you, really, yeah. you really messed me up with that one. Yeah. All right. Anyways. <laughs> All right, let's get into this shit. All right, Michael's mad now. Let's do it. <laughs> One of the most famous con men in history, Victor Lustig. He once conned Al Capone and sold the Eiffel Tower twice. But this gentleman wrote Ten Commandments of Con Men. And lucky for you, I fit him in this easy-to-remember song. Be a patient listener, fast talking, don't always do the trick. Never look bored if you must yawn, better do it quick. When political views are revealed, agree with all of them. Same applies to religious views. You gotta match them sin for sin. Maybe have a little sex talk, but don't follow it up unless they bite. Never talk about illness unless concerns are brought to light. Never pry too hard, they'll tell you everything in due time and never boast. Just have a good sense of pride. Never be untidy, you must always need to clean Never get drunk cause you might accidentally say what you mean That's the worst thing you could do You would be but Yes you would So you wanna be Con man, just follow these rules. Play your hand, good luck. Good luck.
All right, so to kick off this Scam Artist series, we're going to start with uh, one of the greatest. I mean, I don't know. The thing is, like, he's relatively unknown, aside from uh, kind of twining, coining that term. Mm-hmm. Not, not that it was him, but, you know, people took what he did and, and uh, kind of rolled it into a saying about people who are gullible. Right, right. So the you may have heard that whole, that. If, if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you thing, but you may not have known the origin of it or how it came to be, and that's this guy that we're going right. to talk about. And we actually have two cases for you this week. So we're going to, you know, it's a series and we're going to mash them up at times. We have another one. There's actually some murder in this one. So stick Uh-oh. forward, look forward to that. A little spoiler alert. Our second guy was right. uh, involved in a murder. So, but we're going to start with George C. Parker, who uh, is the reason that that whole phrase exists. I want to thank historycollection.com for a really well done article that I used to study for this case. Um, and uh, so, yeah, let's dive into George C. Parker. He was born March 16th, 1860. He shares a birthday with Flava Flay. Flava Flay! Flava Flay! Vegas local. Vegas local. My buddy actually uh, had a run-in with him at his house. Uh, I, won't, I, won't, I don't know. I can't really say it because it'll give away right, what right, I right. do. But uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> pretty funny situation. <laughs> I've heard Flav that. seemed really cool yeah. about it. So I've heard that. Wasn't he like riding a bike down the street? No, he was in his house having his hair dyed. Okay, well then I've heard <laughs> then I've heard more than one story about meeting somebody meeting Flavor Flav because somebody that we worked with said they ran into him and he was riding this enormous bike, like one of those bikes like you like they were like, We don't know how he got on it. It was like one of those bikes with the big front wheel and like the little yeah, back yeah, wheel yeah, yeah. and you gotta have like a ladder. The old timey bikes. Yeah, he was riding like one of those. Like, like a like hipster bike chain. you would see somebody riding yeah. on Oregon on. Dude, I could totally picture Flavor Flav driving that. That's one For thing sure, I like man. about him. With the giant Flav, clock around his neck. Yeah, he's like, fuck society. Fuck what the norm is. This is the kind of stuff I like. This is what I want to do. And yeah, Flavor Flav seems like... to be fair, like, I think he's missing quite a few brain cells. I don't know what kind of drug probably. use was going on in his younger years, but <laughs> <laughs> he seems hey. happily uh, ignorant, I guess. I don't know if you, that's the right hey, term. I, I, he seems like a really sometimes. likable guy, but yeah, yeah. like he just kind of is in his own little world and happy to be there type of thing. Yeah. But now Eric Estrada, on the other hand... Uh, Who you also know he's has in, the birthday of March 16th. He does. Uh, you know, he is um, in the he's in law enforcement now. That's pretty cool, man. And he was from Chips, right? And you know what he's doing? Yeah, he was in Chips. He's actually an investigator of internet crimes against children. Oh, that's awesome. Busy times for that these days, unfortunately. Do what? Busy times for that, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, and I was about to say, who better than someone in Hollywood to investigate this? I'm I'm surprised he's not dead yet, though. It makes you wonder if he got into it because he saw within... You know, within Hollywood, he was witness to some stuff that he was not cool with. Oh, guaranteed. There's got to be some good people in Hollywood that aren't aren't into you know children being sold and involved in sex trade. Yeah, seriously. Think. One could hope. One can. It's hard to tell hope. though, because I mean, when you really start looking, it's scary how many of them are in it between government and uh, Hollywood. Right, and you you don't know how much. Uh, there's always a. It seems like there's a dollar amount to turn a good man bad. You know what I'm saying? There's always. There's always that dollar amount that's that's looming, yeah. And in Hollywood, sad. Hollywood, they have it, they have yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. So um, Parker, who shares a birthday with those those great men, was born uh, in New York City to Irish parents. He was a first first generation American. Um, his parents were immigrated over from uh, Ireland. Not much is known about his early life. You know, it's always hard when you're talking, you know, the 19th century. Right. Um, right. Right. And pre-19th century stuff, you just don't have a whole ton of history on everybody. Right. A lot of it's uh, speculation. 
but he did have four brothers and three sisters, and he did graduate high school. Uh, let's talk a little bit about New York in the 1880s. I'm sure we already have in the past, but as you know, it was a melting pot of immigrants arriving in the New World from all corners of the globe. Most came in impoverished, but there were some who arrived with investment capital eager to get in on the American dream. And this is what George C. Parker would learn to exploit, is these people coming over with money, um, right. wanting to get their stake in this new world, you know, and uh, eager to find somebody to, something to invest in and whatnot. And there was George C. Parker happily uh, with arms wide open waiting to great them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Give them a little piece of reality. Yeah. So proposals for a new bridge or a just a bridge in general, because there was uh, uh, Brooklyn and New York were, were separated cities at the time. Um, right. And they, the only way of traveling between the two cities was a number of ferry lines. And so there had been proposals as early as 1800 for a bridge to cross over um, the cities. Um, the Brooklyn Bridge was conceived by German immigrant John Augustus Roebling in 1852. He had previously designed and constructed shorter suspension bridges, but this would end up being the longest suspension bridge in the world at the time of his opening, with a main span of 1,595 feet and a deck located at 127 feet above the water. Really an amazing feat for the time, this bridge, when it was uh, built. And it's still an amazing feat now. I think about for that sure. now. When I go over bridges... Um, I just went to the coast this past week and I had to go over a bridge to get to this island that I was on and I'm just looking around and it's just, it's fascinating, fascinating right. works of art and architecture that a bridge is to go that far. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's almost scary. Like, you know, like how, yeah. how big and how incredible they are. And then the, the penalty of if one were to collapse. To it's think it, that the Brooklyn bridge was built in, in 1883, it was completed I open know. for use and like to think it's I don't think it's ever really I'm sure it's been maintained you know yeah. but obviously they never tore it down and rebuilt it so that thing that was built in the 1880s and has had millions and millions of people cross it probably into the billions at this billions point. now yeah Dude. like to think it's it's still you know standing still operational at what point does it break down or if that's ever, a you real know? I know American that's a really, steel <laughs> yeah those suspension bridges man the way they do those are amazing yes the they steel are. cables and Supposedly, they were going to use uh, at the time that hemp was very common for the uh, suspension, and they decided to go with uh, steel cable. I think that was a pretty good idea. I don't oh, know how yeah, much longer yeah. that. I don't think the hemp would still be. Listen, hemp's I'm a very strong material. Don't get me wrong, but I don't right. know how long it would last. Listen, I love hemp as much as the next guy, but I'm not building bridges <laughs> with it. Like, no way. <laughs> like, let me get some of that steel cable, please. It's just, it's yeah. going to break down at some point, you would think, you know? So, yeah, most likely. So, yeah. As I mentioned, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge was opened for use uh, in 1883, and it was May 24th that uh, it was opened for use. Thousands of people attended the opening ceremony, and many ships were present in the East River for the occasion. Patronage across the Brooklyn Bridge increased in the years after it opened. A million people paid to cross in the first six months. Uh, it's wow. a lot of money, a lot of money to be made, and that's uh, kind of what George Parker was selling to these people that came over. Think of all that toll money you know, that you could get when I sell you this bridge. Right, exactly. <clears throat> the, the bridge carried 8.5 million people in 1884, its first full year of operation. This number doubled to 17 million in 1885 and again to 34 million in 1889. So it's safe to say there's been billions for sure that have crossed it at this point. Oh, God, yes. Many of the people that have probably crossed it hundreds, if not thousands of times themselves, you know, that live in the area that have to cross it for work or whatever. Right. Um, many of these people were cable car passengers. Additionally, about four and a half million pedestrians a year were crossing the bridge by, uh, for free by 1892. George C. Parker saw in this bridge an opportunity for a quick buck and took it. And you take 
could say quick buck, but he turned it into long game too. He did this for 30 years allegedly. So um, his yeah. whole idea was to basically trick people into thinking, believing he was the owner of the bridge. And uh, we'll dive into that in a second. But with millions of people crossing the bridge per year, there were bound to be some suckers, he thought. The Brooklyn Bridge had several attributes that made it particularly well-suited for this sort of endeavor. Its, its proximity to the port made it highly visible to newcomers, and its size provided opportunities to show off while avoiding the law. Uh, but perhaps most critical was its considerable frame, uh, fame. I, I mean, uh, so like the people that came to the New World, it's this new feat of engineering. Everybody had to see it, you know. And so oh, there was absolutely. just so much tourism and, and uh, foot traffic and people just loitering about. And, and this also a lot of opportunity in that. Right. And this also explains the, the gullibleness of so many people because they didn't know that bridges were owned by – because this is like the – this may be the first bridge of this stature that many of these people had even seen. Right. You know what I mean? So they don't know how And they they're work. just getting here to the, to the new world. They don't right. know how this new country operates. Right. And then you know, right off the bat – Ireland. They don't know what, what kind of – you know, city ownership or anything like that's going on. It could very easily could have been a privately built bridge or exactly and, and privately what, who, owned. And also, like in defense of these people who fell for this, like who wouldn't want to take an opportunity to make a little money right off the bat? You know what I mean? It's exactly. like okay, I, I got this big investment. What better to invest in than a bridge that people are crossing constantly? And if yeah, I can set obviously up, not going anywhere, right? And if I can set up my toll booth there. I mean, that's a steady income right off the bat. Yep. You know? So. Yeah, and I'm sure George was also very uh, persuasive and charismatic. Oh, of to course. To be a salesman of that Like most of that con men. Yeah. And he probably got better and better at it over the years. Um, so George actually, he, he had this scheme going pretty deep, too. He would actually bribe men working the ferry boats on Ellis Island, bringing the new immigrants to New York to tell him, to tell him who had a lot of cash on them. So he'd get these ferrymen to cozy up to the Marks, that were on the boat coming to coming to New York and uh, basically try and figure out which ones of them had some capital, had some money, and were looking to invest in things. And then uh, they would then tip off George for a small fee or whatever. Yeah, because that was um, back as, in the day when people, everyone just talked. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just talked to people. You didn't have a phone. You didn't have. Yeah, the you internet. weren't on TikTok. C- no, can, you, you, you had to like talk to people. It was just kind of what else are you going to do? Hey, careful! The president's banning TikTok. Don't be mentioning that on here. You're going to get us banned. Right. I won't miss it, but I also am not sure I, I believe in, in I don't, uh, banning things you don't like either. I think that's kind of a... That's bullshit. A little dictatorial. Yeah, I, I think I think TikTok is, TikTok is creepy. I've said that before. I feel like I the videos on there, they're, they're fucking creepy. They're, they're right. not good for people. But I also think about when if, if a whole website can be banned, what, he's not going to stop there. I mean, especially not someone like him. He's he's going to go and go, and we, we can't censor the internet. Come on. It's the one thing we that we don't have censored. Right. Like, we can't you see censor. someone posted, someone said, uh, supposedly tr- Donald Trump's banning TikTok, so if you want to watch 16-year-olds dance, you'll have to be on Bill Clinton's private plane. Oh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> but up. Damn. Hit him hey, that me. wasn't me that said that. I don't want the Clintons coming after me. I'm just saying. Right. It was <laughs> out there. Just repeating. <laughs> yeah, the Clintons, listen, they're wrapped up in the Clintons and the Bushes both. If you look up any conspiracy in the time yeah. that they were alive, those two families are wrapped hey, up in it. Like that's Bill not was our on fault. that Epstein Epstein plane a lot of times according to the log. That's all I'm gonna say. He may or may not have been on the island. And he may or may Just not saying. have been talked about in our uh Johnny Gosh episode with the Franklin scandal. So really if you know it's yeah, pretty same. crazy how many times his name comes up in these things. I'm telling you. The the Clintons and the Bushes both, man. They're just yep. there's just something weird about that. 
the yeah. whole family, they come up too often. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, too ingrained, too, been around too long in politics, and they, mm-hmm. they don't even know what normal is at this point. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, the, as we mentioned, the ferrymen um, on these boats would, would cozy up to the marks um, and tip off George as to which ones, and also even um, direct these marks to George. You know, like, look for my guy over here on the Brooklyn Bridge next to the for sale sign. <laughs> yeah, they're probably getting some kickback, huh? Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure George was throwing him a little cash for that's the the gig to have, right? To be the bus driver. It's like you're not really doing anything. You're just like pushing people in a certain direction, making a little extra. Yeah. You could always play in, play ignorant too. Like I didn't know that he didn't own the bridge. How am I supposed to know? Yeah. Don't come after me. I almost bought it myself. Right. I thought it was a great (laughs) opportunity. I'm just trying to help people out. But I don't make enough on the ferry to buy it, you know? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Not that he had really a steep price on it. He would take pretty much whatever people would offer. Oh, yeah. He wasn't going to turn down some free money. Oh, no, of course so, not. Uh, so, yeah, once the marks came his way, Parker would then take over with what would, could only be described as a well-rehearsed con. He did his research and had phony forged documents and deeds showing him as the owner of the Brooklyn Bridge. So, yeah, he had some, some documents written up. Yeah. And pretty much that's all anybody needed. Any, Probably any, anybody with then, a typewriter could do that. papers, you know. Yeah. I, that's, George that C. So Parker, good. owned said Brooklyn Bridge. Right. As of today. (laughs) Say it and it shall be so. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you had a bunch of gullible people coming in and there was no, it's not like you could Google it and find out who the owner of the bridge was. And people were at a huge disadvantage then. Can't Snopes it. No. No. Yeah. So uh, George would convince the Marks that the government was just on the verge of passing a law to make the bridge a toll bridge. I guess that was, ended up being pretty true. And he was looking for investors to set up booths to collect the tolls. So the investors would keep a percentage and would, in effect, be part owner of the bridge. It was a can't-miss proposal. He was so convincing that many of the marks didn't know they had been they had been had until they were trying to build the toll booths on the bridge. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine you, pull, you got your, your materials. Dude. Oh, you're you like, pull. you're insulted that someone's coming up to you and telling you can't do that. Like, obviously, I, he, you break out your papers from him. Like, look, I am part owner of this bridge. Right. <laughs> you need like, to back what? off, sir. <laughs> They're like, like what? You pull up with like a horse buggy full of fucking wood and shit, <laughs> right. like, acting like you're about to get ready and make a million. Oh man, that's got to oh, that be sucks. so disappointing. Right. That must have been rough. Yeah, I wonder how many times he got confronted by these people that got conned by him. You know, like because he hung around the bridge for Dude, thirty right, plus look, for like thirty fucking years. He that, had to have been confronted by some of these guys. That's what I'm saying too. Because look, okay, let's say you're a new you're a newcomer, right? You got. What you have on you, you're trying to start a new life in America. Let's say you spend a big chunk of that investing in this bridge, then you spend another big chunk, maybe all of it, investing in materials and supplies to build this thing, and then you go out there, and this is all a ruse, and all your fucking money's gone, and you just got here. Oh, you'd be so mad. Dude, you best bet I'm going to be hanging out by that bridge until I see that motherfucker. Somebody, somebody did it. He had to have been confronted. He had to have changed, he had to have been all the time, changing his identity. Wouldn't that be ironic if he got uh, thrown off the bridge that he sold to a bunch of people by one of the people he sold it to? Oh, shit. That be pretty would be, funny. That'd be sweet justice, though. I mean, you can't <laughs> do that shit to people. Right. You can't do that shit to people. <clears throat> yeah. So, so George even got so bold at one point that he d- he decided to pin a for sale sign pil- on a pillar on the bridge. So much like you would put on Gosh. a vehicle you wanted to sell in your in your driveway. Right. Just pin it right on the bridge. Yeah. Just let people drive by and see it. Oh, this bridge is for sale, honey. Did you know that? <laughs> just, just a guy standing there waving at you with a brochure. Yeah, come right. on over. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a group on this week for the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> right. 
Oh, damn. Um, so, yeah, near the sign would be George, a well-dressed, we- well-dressed man wearing a bow tie and flat cap. He would introduce himself as the owner of the bridge and work his magic. There you go. Um, Parker supposedly knew the schedule of the policemen as well that worked the bridge. So I, I picture they, you know, they had like a bridge guy who would kind of go up and down the bridge, police oh, yeah. officer, and he kind of knew his the time. It would probably take him an hour to get from one end to the other or something along those lines. And right. so he knew when the guy was getting close, he'd take the sign down, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, rip down Kinda the like sign, a, shove it in your coat pocket, just stand there. Yeah, it was that game uh, Rainbow Six or what was those games back in the day where you had like the the, the light would come and you'd have to kind of hide in the shadows and then the guard would walk past and then you could go behind them and oh, maneuver yeah. around like that. Something like Metal Picture Gear Solid? Like Metal Gear Solid, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's the one I was looking for. So, dude, I did not have the patience for those games when I was younger, man. I'm like, <laughs> fuck waiting, this, right? I'm going Leroy Jenkins and shooting all these... Mu- and I'm I can dead. take him. You just run right up to him. Yeah, you're like, yeah, definitely can't every take time. him. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the, even though he had the, you know, he had some, he, he knew the schedule, the policemen and stuff like that. He still was arrested several times, and I'm sure it was because some of the marks that he had gotten came back and pointed him out to the police and whatnot. And so he would be arrested several times, and he would even have a daring escape at one point. What what good is a case that we do without a, an escape from jail or prison at some point? Yeah, I mean, this one's pretty funny too. Listen, if you weren't escaping in the late 1800s, early 1900s from you jail, then you weren't you weren't trying. You weren't exactly. trying. You're just, you're this, just. This what, example shows you just how easy it really was back then, dude. It was so easy. You look at all yeah. the different people we had that escaped from prison in those times. Yeah. Uh, but let's, yeah, let's go on with this. This is, this is probably one of the easiest ones. Right. This is like a movie. Yeah. So on New Year's Day in 1908, uh, George was behind bars at the Raymond Street Jail when the sheriff at the time made a diplomatic trip to the to greet the guards and the inmates. You know, a New Year's Day trip, checking out the jail. Hey, guys, how's everybody doing? Even being right. nice to the inmates. Um, and when he got in there, you know, it was a little cold outside, um, and he took, his, took off his coat once he got indoors and his hat and sat it down. Parker smoothly slipped on the jacket and the hat and walked right out of the jail uh, unabated. How? So... Like, they just what, assumed he was the sheriff leaving, I suppose, whoever was working the, the front counter or whatever. But what did they, I mean, I don't understand how this worked, right? Did they just let all the prisoners out into like a conference room and they're like, oh, we're having a luncheon with the sheriff. Like he's coming. Yeah, I guess. How did this? They figured the sheriff was there, so n- nobody's going to try anything funny with him there. So they just kind of let everybody roam around. I don't know. Wow. That is one naive sheriff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably wasn't naive after that, after no. being made a fool of. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> then they don't let him out. They're like, uh, sir, where's your badge? It was in my then coat. Then he had to walk yeah, home in sure, the cold because he had no jacket, <laughs> just added insult to injury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I know he was pissed. Right. Um, yeah, so he was free and thus began his scamming yet again, and he'd be free for many years. He made a full-on career out of this, but just about retired you know, before he was finally taken down for good. Yeah. Um, he was able to make, uh, as I said, a, long, a lifelong career out of parting suckers from their hard-earned cash, According to Parker, he claimed to have sold the bridge twice a week for 30 years and made anywhere from $50 to 5000 per sale. Wow. Dude, let's just the, say he sold it twice a week for just $50. Imagine how much money he that's made a lot of money. at that time. That's a lot of money. 100 bucks a week for fake selling a bridge? That dude was freaking rolling in right. the early 1900s. And then there were some times he made $5,000. You'd think if you if you got five grand from one, you'd ha- you'd have to lay low for a little while. That dude is going to be oh, uh, on dude. the verge of murder, uh, the homicidal, 
if you st- that that kind of money in the 1800s, oh, five thousand yeah. dollars. That's like <clears throat> someone's entire life savings. That's all. That's that's like a lot of money now. Let alone back then. That's everything you got back then, unless you're very well off somehow. But you had yeah. to find this sweet so- spot for people that were gullible, but also had made money somehow, or I guess had been given money. Maybe the the probably the perfect people would be young people who had inherited money and hadn't made that money because. It just seems like if you were able to make that much money back then that you were too smart to fall for buying a bridge for $50, you know? Right. But I think he's also uh, preying on new uh, immigrants as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Immigrants who are trying to make a name, immigrants who There's are... There's probably are a language barrier. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And then they meet this... The first person they meet is this friendly businessman who's trying to help them out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I think there's a little bit of that as well. Yeah. You know what? Be uh be on edge anytime you go into a new country or new city and the first person you meet near the airport or at the airport, if they're overly friendly and trying, you know, asking you for money in any way, it try offering you some kind of opportunity, be very weary. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I remember uh we went to uh, Cabo San Lucas. I went there last year for a wedding and at the airport, like there were so many people that were trying to get us to go with them. Like, and we're like, we, we were told right away because we were, we, we were taking this certain shuttle and we're like, we have basically laser vision and find the people with this colored flowered shirt that says this on it and get on the bus. Do not talk to anyone. Cause there was a million people trying to get us to like get on their buses and like, I don't know where you're going to take us. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Hell yeah. I bet. Shit. Well, what do they want? They just want more people on their bus line, or their intentions are. They're trying unknown? to take. I think most of them were trying to take you to their hotel, and then they're going to charge you, you know, absorbent amount for to stay at their hotel when we already we had already paid. We had already paid for said hotel and said shuttle, and they were ah. trying to convince us that we were supposed to get on their bus, and we were not. But they know damn well that we're not supposed to. But once they get us on there, then they can charge us and whatnot. Exactly. Okay. And I maybe even a small percentage of us of them may not be taking us to a hotel at all, maybe taking out to the who knows where, the desert to rob us or something. Yeah, or trafficking. Yeah, who knows? But, uh, yeah, you got to be careful when you go to new places and, you, you know, you don't really know the – how things work yet people would take advantage of that no doubt but at least we're at an advantage now where we can do some research ahead of time if you're traveling somewhere new and not doing research you're just being dumb i've heard uh, around the landmarks in france and stuff um in certain parts of europe if you're an american that go over there be very careful with your uh possessions there's very good pickpocketers and such like that like anywhere um on trains and buses and and when you're walking around say like the the leaning tower of pisa stuff like that there's yeah. a lot of scammers down there i've heard yeah, that makes sense. They're doing yeah. they're doing the old school scams. Yeah, that's, that's pretty. They'll, interesting. They'll, they'll you grab your wallet right you. out of your pocket, and you won't even know. Dude, yeah, that's why I always keep my wallet in my front pocket. You know what I mean? I feel like it's a lot harder to get in there. Better for your back too. Anytime nope. I get into it, no anytime doubt. I sit down, my wallet comes out. Like if, when I get in a car, I, you won't you don't want to be leaning like that. It's bad for your spine. Oh, terrible for your spine. That's why I started carrying it in my front pocket. Yeah, there was a Seinfeld episode about that. George, his wallet was like the size of a brick because he had like a million receipts from like 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it was like he had a bad back and it was he found out it was because of his wallet. Yeah, that stuff's for real, man. That's a joke, but that stuff's for real. Yeah. Especially if you have a job where you sit down a lot. Right. Yeah, so um, as we mentioned, Parker claims to have uh, been selling the bridge for twice a week for 30 years and made quite a bit of money and basically made a career out of it. And the scam worked so well that he even tried it on other landmarks um, and successfully. He, uh, at some point, sold the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Statue nice. of Liberty, and Madison Square Garden. 
How the hell do you sell the Statue of Liberty then? <laughs> Everybody fucking knows that's a gift from the French. I know, like, right? They had to have probably known not even Fren- more then. Probably not French uh, immigrants, you know. You don't think the French knew they gave that to us? No, I'm saying pro- they probably weren't French immigrants because they would know, you know. But oh, if they were from, oh. you know, another country, they may not know. God, I feel like other countries knew about that shit. That's just such. Some a of them thing. may have just thought, "Man, this may be a scam." But if it's not, this could set me up forever. You know, like I just bought Madison Square <laughs> Garden. If I really did just buy it for fifty dollars, man, I'm set for life. I'm so- <laughs> if I really did, it's worth it, just in case. Right. I mean, probably didn't, but if right. I did, it's worth the op- it's worth the chance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> high risk, high reward. Okay. Or low okay. risk, high reward. I would say. If right. Only- and the fifty dollars is a lot back then, but still, to buy Madison Square Garden is you know. Right, not right. So, not so bad. Chump change. Yeah. Okay. Now, Georgia's biggest scam, however, was posing as the grandson of former President Ulysses S. Grant. Oh. He went to the wealthy investors pretending to be former president's next of kin, lamenting that he could not complete repairs on Grant's tomb. Um, Grant oh. was so revered as the hero of the union, and investors flocked to give money to ensure his tomb was kept in well and working good order. That's messed so he's up. Taking it, yeah, it's really messed up when you're capitalizing on someone's death like that. He's Yeah, he's playing on the patriotism of the people yeah. of the North. And also, I mean, imagine that too, being an immigrant and wanting, and wanting to be an American, right? And you mm-hmm. want to support American ideals and things like that. And then somebody comes to you with this and they're like, well, who's Ulysses S. Grant? And we're like, oh, he's the hero of the Civil War, don't you know? You like, probably wouldn't think anyone would well, have the balls to do something so cruel you know exactly like who would who would dare how dare you take the name of ulysses s grant in vain right (laughs) yeah exactly. i mean he was on the right side of things yeah (laughs) yeah so um and and this stuff was going well for him and it was actually bad checks that brought him down um and so in 1928 at 68 years old so as we said a long fruitful career of scamming yeah. came to an end at 68 years old. I'd almost say it was worth it, really. I think if he looked back, he'd be like, yeah, I would do it again. 68 is a pretty good retirement age. Now i got to spend time in prison, but and that's where he'll die. But, you know, it's a good run. Damn good it, run. Very good run. And, I mean, like you said, at 68, I mean, shit, he was plan- probably planning on being dead by then. Right. You know what I'm saying? Living <laughs> in that time. Not too many people in the 1800s lived that old. Yeah, exactly. He's like, damn, I, I, I had a fun life. Yeah. Lived my life, didn't have to work hard. Um, yep. Has probably a lot of good stories to tell. I mean, there's probably so much information out there that we don't know, you know? Yeah, that we never got. Oh, man. Think about all the successful shit that went off without a hitch. That's the shit that history don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so uh, he got got taken down by a $120 uh, bad check that he had passed. He was taken down for his fourth fraud charge and under a new statute at the time, new statute, uh, it was four strikes and you're out, so... Basically, if you had huh. four fraud charges, you were done. Um, and he was then sent to Sing Sing Prison, where he died behind bars in 1936. And um, so he spent and almost 10 years behind bars. Yeah, so, seven, well, so then he was but 78 years old or 77, something like that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's like 76. Yeah, that's a good run. That's like average age for men even up until now. Just right. about. I think it's like yeah. the average age is like 78 or something. Right. Yeah, he lived a, he lived a long life, man. Yep. Yeah, wow. so that's George C. Parker. That's the reason why, if you've ever heard that saying, if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. I that's can't where believe, it came from. I can't believe in 1928 he gets caught for passing a bad check when Frank Abagnale was doing that shit in the 70s with no <laughs> problem. He, yeah, well, you know what? Frank, I think, was a lot better at it. <sighs> Apparently. But how much better? I mean, I feel like because of the security and because of where we were in the time in the 20s, I feel like you don't even have to be that good at it. 
true. He must have just got real brazen with it, you know, or yeah. or maybe someone spotted him. They're like, hey, there's the guy that wrote me that bad check, you know? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. Because he did seem yep. to stay around New York, right? He yeah, he's, he hung around the bridge mistake. a lot. <laughs> a lot of the monuments, he hung around a lot. That was his mistake, man. If he would have traveled around, I wonder if around. he changed his image a lot. If he, you know, if he switched his his hair color up or like his his facial hairstyle and his clothes, if he really kind of rotated that to kind of avoid detection a little bit more. I'm sure he did he that. Live, you would think. I'm sure he did that. But he should have traveled if he really wanted to make this a a lifelong thing and not go to. But but then again, who am I to talk? I mean, he only spent the last eight years of his life in prison for years and years of pulling right. this hell ruse. of a run. 30-year run selling a bridge that he didn't own, man. That's a pretty good run. That's a damn good run. Yeah. Who am yeah. I to talk? Yeah. Good Good work. So <laughs> so let's talk about our next guy. This is uh, this the second part of this case, uh, the second part of our first part of our series here of Scam Artist, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to go on to Charles Lewis Blood. I want to thank hollywest.com for a great article written on Charles Lewis Blood. Nice. Um, he was born on September 8th, 1835, and he identified throughout his life as Dr. C.L. Blood, or CL Blood MD. Um, That's perfect because, like we talked about in one of the other episodes, he has one of those last names that matches up, right? Because right. he he acted like that he dealt with blood issues, and they're like, <laughs> right. "Well, damn, this dude's last name is Blood." I mean, right? It must else? be in the family, right? Right. It must be a family thing. His family, and that's also. That's also what he tried to convince people of was that it was in the family. He called himself these things, uh, being yes. doctor and MD, because he was he told people he was the son of a physician, Doctor Lewis Blood. Mm-hmm. Neither was true. He was no. he was not a doctor, and his father was not a doctor. His father was actually Lewis Blood, a successful farmer, timber dealer, contra- contractor, and prominent citizen in Massachusetts. And that's what's pretty sad about it. Is that there was nothing to be ashamed about with his bloodlines. His father was a very successful, important man in Massachusetts. Here's the problem, um, though. His his dad was a worker. I guarantee yeah. it. And he was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, I, I don't want to do all that work. Ain't no fucking way. I'm being a farmer. And a timber dealer, aka lumberjack, uh, contractor, right. aka carpenter. No way, I'm doing that kind of fucking hard work when I can just take sell my last air. name and sell people air. That's good for yeah. their blood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and their lungs and their- heals their heals all of their ailments. Right. This good old air that we have here. Hey, the miracle treatment, man. It's the people have been selling yeah. it for ages. They're still selling it now. There's tons of pyramid scams going on now with that shit. I mean, to be fair, we can't live without it, right? To be fair. <laughs> to be fair, he must have air to breathe. Right. Um, as to his own medical credentials, those were fabricated, much like his fictitious father's. C.L. Blood arrived in Boston from from Philadelphia in 1865, established an office, and so you pretty much could just proclaim you were a doctor back then, write up some fake yep. documents, and uh, you were a doctor at that point. Dude, um, that's what, it's like the invention of lying. It really is. Have you seen yeah. that movie with Ricky nope. Gervais? Nope. Dude, you got to watch that movie. Highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. But it's okay. like, during this time, that's what it reminds me of in the late 1800s. It's like when lying was first becoming a thing. Because right. people just didn't lie, I guess. They just took people on their word, their documents. It's like, well, if your knowledge will come through in your in your actions, right? right. Your knowledge will come through in your reputation. But when somebody yep. makes up their reputation and then tells you what all their actions are, there you go. Like you have, you can just make up your own resume. There's no fact checking. There's no, oh, let me check, let me look him up on Facebook. You know, there's, there was no way of doing any of this. It really was the invention of lying, it seemed like at that yeah. time. Yeah, man. Uh, medical was, the, the medical practicing back in the, uh, those times, 1700s, 1800s was pretty scary. 
Oh God, yes. Between between but, you know the but, education the education that they had, and then there was a lot of phonies out there, yeah. and the, some of the stuff that they were experimenting with, like lobotomies and things like that. Pretty fucking scary time. Well, one thing I learned about I, I took this medical class in in college, and one of the first things they told us they said one thing you have to understand when studying medical things is that it's called medical practice for a yeah. reason because we're still <laughs> practicing. Like, none of this is set in stone. None of this is the best way to treat. I mean, maybe it is, but most likely it's not. It's medical practice. And we've been practicing (laughs) figuring out things about humans and the way we work for years and years and years. So if you think about what we know now, I mean, we only knew a fraction of that in the late 1800s. (laughs) So it really explains why these people were looking for these miracle ailments. They had, you know, they had shit to do. They had lives to get back to. Yep. Yeah, so when C.L. Blood arrived in Boston uh, from Philadelphia in 1865 and opened his office, he began promoting his medical services in full-page newspaper ads. Um, He developed an interest in the use of nitrous oxide or laughing gas as an anesthetic um, and even learned how to manufacture it. He then claimed it as his own invention, calling it oxygenized air and promoting it as a cure for tuberculosis and other respiratory tract diseases that were running rampant back then in the early days. That's uh, a lot of tuberculosis going on. You and so, yeah, laughing gas, what you get at the dentist to right. kind of help you with your anxiety and, and your pain when you're being worked on, which I actually asked my wife about this because she's a dental hygienist. And I was like, do you guys use nitrous oxide? And she said, no. Um, her office, her doctor that she works for doesn't believe in it. She doesn't like it because it really, it's really hard to work on somebody when they have that thing over their nose. Right. And they don't, she's like, it doesn't do anything. She, she It's like, I guess it's, it has to do something. It obviously calms people's nerves and helps with the pain or whatever, but... Um, certainly isn't curing any lung diseases. No, no. Have you ever had it? Have you ever experienced it? I believe so, a long time ago. Um, prob- I don't know. I, don't, I haven't had that much w- work done. I did have wisdom teeth removed, but I think they, would, I think they just knocked me out with, with a, sed- a sedative or whatever back yeah. then. Yeah, I've never, had, I've never experienced laughing gas before, so I was curious yeah. if, <clears throat> if you had. But that, I, I wouldn't think it would be a great way to operate on someone. I know it kind of puts them out of it. In a way, but I feel like they're 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 still moving and shit, right? They're still reacting yeah. to different things. It just puts them at ease. It, it, it's, it actually helps a lot with anxiety, I guess. If someone's real anxious, they don't if they're the type that's scared of the dentist and whatnot. Um, right, it can help with that. But okay, <clears throat> it kind of just makes you wacky. I think it kind of like messes with your brain a little bit. It's very temporary. It's like it wears off within minutes. Yeah, I mean, um, I've seen all unless, those videos online where people are you know waking up from. Uh, wisdom tooth operations or dental that's operations. More, that's more, I think that's less of the uh, laughing gas and more of just the insane um, pet medications they're put on, like the pain medications and stuff. Because I was, I was out of it so bad after I had my wisdom teeth removed. I wasn't, I was very angry and like, I was not as funny as like a lot of the people you see. I was very mean to my wife and my mom. Oh, shit. Um, because I was just like in agony. Like I had my yeah. so much stuff draining. I had all four move, removed at once and yeah, they were you, compacted. So I just pictured they were probably like had their foot on my face with like pliers and were just yanking these things out of my teeth or out of my mouth when I was sleeping. Oh, I was yeah, in no hell doubt. for a couple of days. That's what I've so, heard, man. I've heard that. that and, and yeah, you're just thinking like personally, you're in so much pain. You don't have time or the attention span to think about anything else. Yeah, it, it was confusion. I was so out of it from the drugs, and then also I was in a ton of pain and just couldn't eat. You know, I couldn't really eat any food. I had to like everything had to be liquid, so I was just very angry. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Damn. 
So yeah, he extensively advertised his ability to cure all diseases of the blood and lungs by means of his air, mm -hmm. which he administered at his practice. A page would answer the calls of visitors at his door and usher them to an elegantly furnished reception area to await the appearance of blood from his cons consolation room. So he had this, he, he intentionally made this very elaborate an elegant setting at his at his office. He paid these lemmings to work for him right. and make this thing seem like this huge practice and like he was very busy and you were very lucky to be seeing him and his Dude, magic air. Like most of these um, con artists, one thing I don't get, especially ones that come from successful families like him, um, all this work you're putting into this fake ploy, couldn't you have just invested this time and energy in one of your dad's yeah. businesses and like been yep. a legit businessman? Right. That wouldn't have to live in fear or have this constant, what if I get found out? We've talked about this a few times, right? With like H.H. H. Holmes, for instance. That dude was a brilliant man. Like the stuff he pulled off. Yeah. The, like the, like the, the hotel that he designed, all the different traps and stuff that he had set up and like all the different yeah. ruses that he worked on. It's like this dude could have been uber successful as just a normal business, businessman. No doubt. What was it about him that, you know, I guess he just had some, some level of a mental disorder where he got off on stealing from people like he, he got a rush from it and also was a murderer you know there was just something that was off in his brain yeah um, same as ted bundy dude was dude's very smart obviously went to law school things like that and uh very cunning and yeah, could have been, been successful, successful had he directed his energy elsewhere as opposed to uh murdering women yeah no doubt but i mean those guys like they have a they're they're broken but these guys yeah. seem like they just wanted money these con artists is what i'm saying Right. And what better, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could get the same amount of money and then not have to be looking over your shoulder all the time? But, I don't but know, then I think, again. I think with, with blood, though, I think, the, and with uh, with uh, Parker, I think there was a level of, they got excitement out of, yeah. out of the whole yeah, idea. Yeah, it was adrenaline rush, right? Pulling, up, yeah. pulling it over on somebody. Yeah. Okay. Made them feel there's, a little I bit mean, like a at, bigger person. There's been uh, really rich uh celebrities who have been caught stealing from stores you know like who was it the, the actress that years ago got caught shoplifting and it's just like you don't need to shoplift you're a millionaire you know and it's there's yeah. something there must be something in certain people that they they, they get that high out of you know th theft and getting over on people yeah kleptos man yeah kleptos mm. <clears throat> so uh Blood, as we mentioned, he employed all these different people to make it seem like he was a big deal. And while in Boston, he gained a rival. And this is a pretty uh, interesting part of this story. Um, he gets this rival by the name of Dr. Jerome Harris, who also applies nitrous oxide, but under the name of super oxygen oxygenized air. Oh, shit. Air. His air's super. You're fucked. <laughs> he went up to him. <laughs> he you got oxygenized you? air. I got super oxygenized air, bro. It's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I got. I would just put another super before. I'd be like, air. I got super, super oxygenized air, oh, bitch. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> People are just looking up. I can just see them looking in the phone book. Well, this guy here says he has super oxygenized air, Karen. Let's let's go check him right. out. <laughs> so, uh, and and also, unlike Blood, Harris was actually a trained physician. Oh. Um, although he was one of he was he was a physician that capitalized on Blood's popularity by operating his practice from Blood's old quarters on Chauncey Lane. So he was really ripping him off. He took the oxygenized air thing, added a super to it, and then he took over his old office that he had moved on from and started basically working the old customers in the area. Oh. And he was a real doctor. Yeah. Hmm. 
but he was still doing some phony shit trying oh, to convince yeah. people that this oxygenized air was curing their problems. Well, he kn- well listen, but that's just supply and demand. If he had people coming to him being like, "Hey, I want the air treatment. I want the. I don't care if a fuck what you got. I don't care what you know how to do. I right. want the air treatment." He's like, "Well, give the people what they want." I mean, yeah. I can give them laughing gas too and call it whatever the hell I want. I guess I will. I don't really blame this guy, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I don't really blame well, if, him. If you don't blame him, then you can't really blame CL Blood either for what he was doing, I guess. Well, I blame Blood because he's not a doctor. And then also he yeah, made all this right. shit up. He fooled all these people. And it, he was basically giving these people a placebo. It only lasted so long because they wanted it to work. And he told them that it was working. Mm-hmm. So that's why they kept doing it. And so these these people they bought the into that whole scam that belief system like he actually made this type of air treatment into an actual practice i mean an actual what's the word like, treatment for mm-hmm. people like a legit thing that people actually believed you see what i'm saying right. like without that then jerome wouldn't even be offering this he's just offering right. it because i guarantee you it was a supply and demand type thing right yeah there's a, there's a level of placebo effect where there's, it's arguable that it it has positive effects if because the because of the mental state and how important the mind is and how important it is to stay positive. If you're stressed and you're neg- you're negatively thinking every day, if you if you believe something is working, then there is a positive effect physically for you as well. Yes. So there's something to be said about you know people that are treating you and it may not be legit, but if it makes you feel better, if the, if the person believes that it's working, then it, it does have pos- positive effects. Yes, and that it puts you it puts you in under the belief that you are getting better, and that can help your body a lot. Actually, just being positive. Yes, the brain is extremely powerful when it comes to healing. Yeah, so there's a fine line there. It's it's tricky. You know, it's like if you are telling people you're curing their tuberculosis with this air, then you're fucking asshole, in my opinion, because you know you must know that you're not curing them. But at the same time, if it makes them feel better, I don't know. It's 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 kind of a tricky thing. Right. I guess it depends. If there is no other way to make them feel better, yes. then I get the placebo. That's a good point. But if That's there is point. something that can help them and truly give them their life back and heal them, and then you're giving them this placebo, then I think you're an if, asshole. If, yeah, if they're doing your oxidized air instead of doing real treatment that could be helping them, and you know this, then yeah, you're a criminal at yeah. that point, I think. Exactly. Um, so one day in the in this winter of 1866 to 1867, Dr. Harris, who was the uh, guy who was kind of ripping off CL Blood and working out of his old office and stuff, was visited by a guy by the name of Mr. Carville. He had a, bronchi- a bronchial complaint and specifically requested Harris's super oxygenized air treatment, the state-of-the-art stuff that everyone was talking about. Mm-hmm. The air was administer- administered, and in a, s- a moment, Carville began frothing at the mount and- mouth and rolling on the floor, his contortions lasting about an hour. So he gets Uh-oh. this super oxygenized air, and he's apparently having a seizure and maybe dying from it. Finally, Harris uh, sent his patient home after he came, he came to from his convulsions, whereupon Carville called for the services of his own physician, who turned out to be CL Blood. Oh, shit. The next day. Like, Have you tried the air treatment? Yes! <laughs> right. God damn it, don't do the air treatment. <laughs> well, no, he's like, that super oxygenized air is no good. I need the, just the regular stuff, man. The regular <laughs> oh, yeah. oxygenized air. That super stuff messed me up. Get that super stuff out of here. It's too much. Look at him frothing. That's what happens when yeah, you get too it, much air. If you can't tell what's going on here, it's clear that Mr. Carville was in cahoots with CL Blood, and this was a, a ruse, a blackmail scheme to make it look like uh, the, a super oxygenized air was no good, and it was dangerous, and he was basically trying to get uh, right. 
he was trying to get his competition out of the mix because uh-huh. the next day the newspapers described Harris's supposed poisoning of Carville by the administering of his super oxygenized air and the subsequent relief afforded by the patient of uh, to the patient by blood and his regular oxygenized air. So wow. the super stuff messed him up, but then he went back to his good old his good old original doctor CL Blood and he gave right. him the regular oxygenized air, which saved him. And so everybody should clearly go to the, go to CL Blood for his oxygenized air. Of course, you know. Of course, that not super a stuff is dangerous. That's right. Um, Blood saw to it that the public were kept aware of the supposedly continual improvement of the patient under his care and reassured them of his harmlessness of his own oxygenized air. Oh Carville subsequently brought suit against Harris. So Carville ended up even suing him of for course. his super oxygenized air, you know, treatment. Blood's behind that to too. Well, of course, that's just, basically the whole idea of suing him was to keep it in keep it in the public, keep headlines about it, right? You know, and you have to think that CL paid him mightily for this to kind of get the, get rid of this guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and so, though Harris was anxious to settle with Carville, his legal counsel advised him not to pay, claiming it was a blackmail scheme. They were very wise to believe that. Mm-hmm. The case finally fell through, but Harris was frightened and left the city. After which, Blood's business prospered. So the competition was gone. And blood could uh, be the only guy giving out his oxygenized air. Super oxygenized air was out of the picture at that point. Damn, I was about to say, either way, even though they were caught with the blackmail scheme, hey, it was still a success. Right. CL Blood don't give a shit. People think he's trying to blackmail people. Like, yep. he's, man, he is killing it. Yeah, until he was actually convicted of blackmail, tax evasion, and fraud, which included the publication of a book called A Century of Life, Health, and Happiness, a, com- a Compendium of Medical Information for the Home. That was his book that he wrote. And oh my God. keep in mind, he was not a physician um, and never went to medical school. Uh, he was he was a phony, and he writes this book about that. And um, he was brought down by an investor that alleged that Blood had defrauded him of $215 when the author failed to provide him with uh, comprised copies of the book, so he didn't. He never got the copies that he purchased. Mm. Um, and Blood would be sentenced to several years in prison for this and his other crimes. But it was his involvement in the mur- the moida. We had to do some moida, you know. Yeah. Um, the murder of a man named Hiram Sawtell was Blood's most sinister, sinister crime. Allegedly, he was seemingly involved in this murder, and right. he was never brought up on charges for it. There was another couple people that were involved one of which was his, uh, Hiram's brother who was directly involved and ended up getting convicted. So let's talk about this. Okay. Hiram was a fruit seller that lived in Boston with his mother and his family when his brother Isaac, who was released from prison after securing a pardon for his rape conviction. So he's got this rapist brother named Isaac who was in prison who happened to be in prison with CL Blood, and they made this acquaintance together while in prison. And so the brother Isaac gets out of jail um, off his rape charges, and the brothers entered into a dispute concerning their late father's estate. So he gets out of jail, um, and he's a rapist, and he comes to his brother about their uh, estate. You know, their dad had died, and they've basically we've talked about this recently in our uh, <clears throat> in our lottery winners episode. You know, families after a loved one dies, and who gets what, and a lot of times it causes this big divide between family members. Because they get greedy and whatnot, and that was what was going on. That's right. Because though the property was in their mother's name, Hiram uh, had been managing it while Isaac was in prison, and Isaac was desperate to gain control of it. Isaac Sautel met C.L. Blood in prison, as I had mentioned, and Blood offered to engineer Hiram's cooperation for a $500 fee. So he's going to get Hiram to basically uh, 
um, give Isaac what he wants as far as the estate's concerned by force if he has to uh, for $500. Bringing a third convict into the plan as well to help. That's always good when you meet different people in prison and then you go uh, – you know, create right. schemes with them. It's They're al- so tr- trustworthy, you know? Right. It's always good to network, you know? You yeah. Utilize the people and resources around you. <laughs> exactly. So um, Isaac abducted Hiram's daughter to... Lo- that's so messed up. So this is his niece he abducts. Right. To lo- In order to lure Hiram to a remote camp in Maine where Blood and his accomplice, the other prison person they had met, would force him to sign over the property. Um, things did not go to plan, however... Um, I guess Hiram was not willing to sign over the property, and one of the men shot Hiram four times. They proceeded then to undress, decapitate, and partially dismember him, then buried his headless body in a shallow grave just across the state line in New Hampshire. Jesus Christ, that escalated quickly. Who were these other uh, convicts that they got? He must have got some fucking cold-blooded killers to be the muscle. That's what I'm saying. You just don't know necessarily who you're dealing with. You know, They may say they did this benign crime or whatever but you don't you know unless you're getting their paperwork and you finding out what they really did they could be a cold-blooded murderer and just saying that they are in there for robbery or whatever yeah yeah because i don't see cl blood doing this i know this guy was a con man but he was most of the time con men don't want to get their hands dirty not in that way right he right. he he, uh, he enlisted some serious criminals for this mission man and you know yeah. i bet isaac didn't give up man because he wasn't going to give up this because he probably saw his brother there and was like, my brother's not going to kill me. Like, it's not going to yeah. go to that point. Right. Well, he was wrong. He, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Very wrong. He was quite wrong. His brother uh, well, changed the law in prison. Just the fact that your brother was willing to kidnap his niece and your daughter in order to get you to this isolated location should have told you, you know, maybe he's a little more serious about this than and, I thought. And he's a rapist. If I knew and my, he's a my rapist, rapist yeah. brother kidnapped my daughter, I would be going mm-hmm. in there fucking guns blazing, Guns blazing, right? That's it. There ain't going to be no discussion. Yep. Like, I'm not going to be the right. one. If I get killed, that's fine, but I'm taking his ass with me. Exactly. After Hiram's disappearance, his wife immediately suspected that Isaac had murdered him and notified the police. Ten days after the murder, Hiram's body was discovered. Isaac was arrested with two train tickets to Montreal, one of which was thought to be for blood. Blood's picture was circulated, and he was recognized by a hotelier who reported that Blood had been carrying two bundles, one of which was wrapped in newspaper and, quote, about the size of a man's head. You know. So they're speculating that maybe CL Blood (laughs) had been carrying around the man's head. I don't know why he would do that. (laughs) I know, right? Keep that luggage with him. I don't see what advantage that would have. Also, why would you carry it just in newspaper? Like, if you had a head, if you are carrying the head, why not? wrap it in a newspaper then put it in a bag or something you're just right. carrying it around like a dang uh, like a ball of newspaper maybe he was an avid bowler or something i don't know why would you wrap your bowling ball in newspaper even that doesn't make any sense that's that doesn't make any sense either right <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird scene man it's a yeah. weird scene so isaac sautel would end up being charged with conspiracy and the murder of his brother hiram while awaiting trial, he confessed to plotting to intimidate Hiram into signing the property over but denied taking any part in the murder. He claimed that Blood owed Hiram a good deal of money and killed him to escape the debt. Uh, despite the hotelier's statements and Isaac's confession, Blood was never questioned by the police, and Isaac would be convicted of his brother's murder and sentenced to death, but he ended up dying of natural causes shortly before his scheduled execution. Blood himself, CL Blood, died at the age of 73 of an unknown illness, Though he was buried in the family plot, his widow and surviving sisters chose not to add his name to their family memorial, knowing what a piece of shit he was. Wow. 
but he lived. So, yeah. But he never went to prison. That's what I'm saying. He's a, it, well. He did. T- he did do time. Well, but, yeah, uh, a little it bit. It was another long, fruitful life of uh, scamming. You know, if you were a scam artist back in the 1800s, you could. Uh, that could be your profession. You, know, you could pretty much live a whole life on that. Yeah, you usually could. before you were finally convicted at an old age and kind of died in prison or whatever. But yeah, now now all the scam artists are on the internet. Yeah, we don't even know who they sure. are. Yeah. Well, holy crap! Wow, what a time! What a time to be yeah. alive! What a time, man! And it's you know it's it's kind of sad that uh, there's so many people in in ancient history and, and all the way up until I would say the 20th century, there was so little note keeping by your average person. Of course, like we've talked about before, the the victors of of wars and whatnot like that wrote wrote the story. Yeah, you know, but like just the average person. The, all the stories that will never be told because there was just no documentation of it. It's pretty sad to think about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about they all this. They just died with them, their stories, you know? Exactly. And they wanted they want to document these things, but imagine what a what a problem that would be. See, now that's a, I think, advantage that we have now is that everyone takes pictures of everything. It's like, did you yeah. even do it if you didn't post on some form of social media? It's like, did it even happen? Because right. you're going to forget it. But think yeah. about now as humans how often we feel like I should take a picture of this or I should yeah. document this or I should tell someone about this experience. Mm-hmm. Like we feel like that all the time. I think that sense has always been with humanity. It's always been with people. For sure. Always. I mean, it was letters. It was letters for a long time. If you want to go down a really deep rabbit hole, you could go start looking, like reading through letters from soldiers in the Civil War, soldiers in World War One, World War Two, that they wrote back to their families, man, and they are they can just rip you apart at times, especially when you find out like, oh, the soldier died the next day, you know, and this was his last letter home, and he knew it. Yeah. Like tomorrow, I'm going on this mission, and it's probably the end. Like it, that kind of stuff, man. It's so fascinating and. uh odd you feel like you're in their shoes in that moment when you're reading that letter mm. and in their family members their poor wife that gets that letter you know and yeah. uh, their kids later on read it and that type of thing it's just crazy to think mm. yeah that's that's but, some brutal stuff man yeah but you know what soldiers on the battlefield wish they had i'm sure was some oh my gaia oh no back doubt in the day they really would have helped the life in the trenches uh-huh it uh, would have really be a little them. more tolerable right and hopefully it wouldn't give away their position because oh my guy is not an overbearing scent. So right. I think they'll be fine. They just won't right. they just won't be, you know, making their bunk mates uncomfortable. Well, back in those days, they pretty much most of the time they knew the position. They were like a hundred feet away in a bunker, the other side was in their bunker, and it was just yeah. kinda like you're staring at each other. <laughs> right. You just you're taking turns throwing grenades and shooting at people right. who's There was their that story up. in World War One where the two sides uh they got out of the trenches and actually like hung out together and played soccer and stuff. It was Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um during World War One and that happened and it went on for like a day or two and then the, obviously the, the commanders and the, the leadership of each side were like, Get in your fucking trenches and kill each other. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Can't leave you guys right. unattended for five days. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well. But yeah. So you mentioned if they had Oh My Gaia. Uh, oh My Gaia, if you guys don't know, is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And there's tons of scents to choose from, guys, for, for your everyday living. You got vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. 
Um, there are some that started out as limited editions like Bergamot Amber and became staples because people love them so much. We have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Um, it's one of our favorites. I always keep a jar of True Crime Pine near. It has our old school podcast logo on there as the uh, sticker seal so you know that if your jar has been tampered with. Um, but guys, because you are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore on uh, at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram. Sorry. But guys, you won't regret Do it. it. It's a great. Do it. You will not regret it. No one's ever told us they weren't happy with their order when they ordered on oh my guy and used our code word creeper. Right. Um, Wendy's the best. Um, it's the best partnership ever, and uh, she even has incense now. Right? Can you buy incense on ohmyguy.com? I'm pretty sure you can get incense. Like we said, beard oil, scented oil, um, these types of things, guys. You can get them in all these scents too. These scents that are rattled off. That's not even all of them. There's she's constantly experimenting and adding new scents. Um, yep. And if you're you're a regular and you've made a few orders, a lot of times she'll send you uh, samples of new things that she's got going on, and you can try them out, give her some feedback, maybe find your new favorite scent. Uh, that's if how you make an order. There's no free samples. You have no, to make no, an order no, to no get free some samples. samples. Come on, guys. I mean, you this know ain't how it fucking is. Costco. Yeah, this isn't Costco. But like that's how I found Egyptian Musk actually, because I ordered uh, True Crime Pine and Fireside. I believe was like my first two that I ordered, and she sent me. Egyptian musk, and I was like, oh my God, this is me. This is my scent. I'm sticking with it. Yep. So most days I wear Egyptian musk, um, but I still love True Crime Pine, Fireside. Um, Lumberjack is a great one. What are you rocking today, Lauren? Uh, barbershop today. Barbershop, going fresh. Going fresh, yeah, buddy. I hear you. Barbershop is a great one. It's got a super cool logo on it too with the old barber pole. Oh, yeah. I love those old barber poles, man. I'd like to get one of those hanging in my house. Right. Those things are dope. <laughs> do a nice hot shave in the morning yeah with a hot rag over your face that is so underrated the hot rag over your face after oh. you know a clean shave i know Whew. and then Open when they pull the pores and then when they pull it off it's like oh, oh man start your day off right like a fresh breeze even though i don't yeah. close shave very much like hardly ever but i i, I feel like i should just to uh just to experience that every now and then you know at least on the neck yeah. get that neck beard under control Right. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I want to thank everybody that's gone and uh, taken the time to rate and review on iTunes real quick. In the past week, I want to say thank you to Johnson Bob in Canada who gave us five stars and said, really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. Uh, John Gilbert in the U.S. said, uh, suggested Catherine Knight. Said, I found a killer in Australia. She oh, killed no skin, beheaded, and cooked her husband. We have done Catherine Knight, my friend. Go Never find Never heard it. of her. <laughs> yeah right we have done it I, I love it when people suggest stuff and then we're like we can just literally send them a link like here you go we already did it like we two already years did ago. it you're welcome yeah yeah of course Catherine um, knight she killed pricey that bitch right <laughs> uh thank you to pod god one two three four five uh gave us four stars and said keep the banter to a minimum can't do it buddy people uh, like it no 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 no. but thank you for not one star and i was i see like when you have um some criticism and it's constructive and then you don't like necessarily like a one-star podcast i go 90 percent of them are not deserving of one stars like right it's like that's just if you want to give advice and actually be kind of uh taken seriously at least give them a couple stars it's like we're trying it has good audio quality like maybe it's not your cup of tea but is it really like worthy of a one-star review yeah 
I, I feel it's you not like that. we shit in your coffee this morning. What's the problem? You know, right? Exactly. Not like you ordered something and you didn't receive it. That's a one star right. review. Yeah. yeah, this is free. We didn't sell you a bridge and then uh, you know, and then you try to build a toll booth and you couldn't because you didn't actually own the bridge or something. Right now, I would give that guy a one star review for sure. Definitely yeah. deserving. Yeah. Uh, Dodgeball01 in the US said, uh, awesome podcast, five stars, thank you. And then Aquaman Fanbex in the US, uh, true crime gold, five stars. Let's li- love listening to these guys, informative and hilarious, makes my day a little less mon- monotonous and stressful. Keep up the banner, guys. See, keep up the banner. There keep we go. Up the ba- it's like that's, per- that's a perfect example. We get yeah. one review that says, keep, keep the banter to a minimum. And then three, three people later, it says, keep up the banter. So. That's what we deal with. You can't yeah. please everybody. No, you can't. That's what it is, man. You, we just keep doing us. That's what we do. Yeah, just you do you, us. boo. That's right. <clears throat> Let's talk about our other uh, stuff. We got patreon.com slash guys, where you can get a ton of bonus content. Uh, one episode a month. If you're a new listener and you don't know this, we do four episodes a month, but one of them is only available available to our patrons, and you can access that by going to patreon.com slash guys. If you give us two bucks a month, you get access to all of that stuff. You'll be... In on the the monthly giveaway, you'll be able to access all of those episodes we've done, which there's probably 70, 80 of them, and there's even more recordings that were just extra stuff, bonus things. Michael yep. did a whole a whole show called Higher Thoughts for a couple of years. He did that. Um, that's since wrapped up, but you could listen yep. to that whole series. So much stuff is available on there. And if you want to give five bucks a month, you get access to the very prestigious gold creep van sticker, which uh, people just got last week. All the new $5 patrons got their gold stickers and been posting about it. Very happy. So, right on. Yeah. Right on, guys. Yeah, that's a great way to support True Crime Guys and True Crime Guys Productions, guys, at patreon.com slash true crime guys. And also, if you are already a patron and you're caught up on True Crime Guys, we have a whole nother show for you called Strange and Unexplained. Um, and you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts, Strange and Unexplained. You can search uh, True Crime Guys as well, and it will most likely pull it up. You'll see the logo has two velociraptors on it. It's kind of hard to miss. Um, but that in that show, we cover unsolved, missing persons, uh, or just strange cases, strange times in history. Um, not all of them will be about crimes. I have one episode about eugenics. Um, I have one about the, the most recent one that will be released, or was just released Monday, rather, is about anthrax, the anthrax attacks in 2001. Uh, a lot more to that than I thought there was. Very interesting case there. Yeah, again, I, f- I feel like I have to issue a formal apology because that's the only one so far. You've done, what, like 15 episodes or something, and I've played my role in that, doing Lauren's synopsis on every episode, uh, and I kind of uh, dropped the ball on this one, and I underestimated how deep it went, and I didn't feel prepared when it came time to send my recording, I didn't feel like I had enough information to really give a good synopsis, so I, right. I opted out on this one, and I'll do a better job next week and make sure that I have my synopsis ready. But like, I only gave myself a day to really study it, and I was just like, dude, I don't, I don't so much, feel like right? I have a good enough grasp. I feel like I'm going to look like an idiot if I try to give my thoughts on this one if I do it. So yeah, there, now, that's there, on me. There is one man, there is one um, um, scientist, rather, in history, mm-hmm. and he was a U.S. scientist, who takes a lot of blame for this, and it's still thought of by a lot of people as being the person who who sent the letters and and right. sent the anthrax. Um, and we talked. And he about ended him. up killing himself, right? <clears throat> he did. He did end up killing himself. But he also that man's past was quite checkered. There was a yes. lot going on there. And um, mm-hmm. in the episode, there's a there's a man called the. I mean, there's a 
an author who wrote a book called The Mirage Man, and it was written about mm-hmm. that gentleman in regards to the anthrax killings. And there is a, a long segment in the podcast where he talks about um, this scientist's backstory. And it I, is, I actually did listen to all that. I watched the oh, video okay. on YouTube of him doing that. Uh, he was like doing a, like a uh, kind of a what would you call it, a lecture at a school, yes. right? Yeah, it's like a TED Talk pretty much, but it was just yeah. at a college. It was like a business college. He talked about the that scientist's obsession with the uh, that certain um, frat house or whatever. Yes. Was it Kappa Gamma or something like that. Yes. And he, he became obsessed with some girl that spited him, smited him, and he she wouldn't go out with him, and he like broke into her house and stole her all of her notes and all that stuff for right. college. And it's, I think I knew more than I thought, but I still was, was like, I feel like I'm missing something. I couldn't quite grasp it you know yeah i mean there's a lot to it there's a that when i first heard about i thought i knew a lot about the anthrax stuff i'm like oh yeah i remember those letters going in the mail and everybody being scared and the white powder and blah blah blah, and all this and that in 2001 it happened right after 9 11 like all that stuff i felt like i i got but there was just so much more uh to that story what i was afraid of is that i felt like everything I looked at, everyone was saying, this guy's innocent. They, they, the FBI's pressure on him and whatnot is the reason he killed himself and he yep. didn't even do it. And yada, yada. I'm like, and I couldn't find any, I couldn't necessarily find any evidence that he did 100% do it, but so much circumstantial stuff pointed oh. to him. Like he had access to it and he had access to that, like that strain of it. They like, I don't know. Like it just seemed who else has access to it like that. And also he had a very, like you said, a very checkered past. He shouldn't have even been given that job in the first place. Right. That's exactly and so right. I just couldn't grasp why so many people thought he was innocent, and maybe it's because they didn't really look into it that much. I don't know. Well, because it's all circumstantial. I mean, and it's fair. That's the way that our our system is set up. Yes, I mean, unless right. it's without a doubt, you can't convict people, and you cannot, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, convict him uh, without a doubt. But what they can do is pressure the shit out of you and make your life a living hell to the point where you kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Or, they were or, harassing the shit out of him. It or maybe, like. or maybe he killed himself because he knew how close they were getting. Like that's an yeah. argument as well. That's Supposedly an there well. was a uh, indictment coming for him, right? Yeah. So, so. Well, if you guys want to check that out, strange and unexplained. That new episode just dropped on Monday. Um, there's also a Patreon page for Strange Unexplained as well. It's Patreon.com/slash/sandupodcast. You guys can get early releases, which are released on Thursdays. Um, and then you also get access to two other shows that I do on there, one being the Palette Cleanser podcast and one being Strange Shorts. Um, so lots of true crime guys stuff, guys. Lots of stuff under our umbrella now. Uh, lots yep. of content to keep you occupied during this quarantine and at work and during your drives or wherever. And um, as always, guys, the, the number one thing you can do for the show is subscribe, listen, download, tell your friends. We Share appreciate it with your friends, that. yes. Share it on, inst- on Instagram or Twitter yes. or whatever. And if you guys if you guys share something about us on your story, we will share it on our story as well, on True Crime yep. Guys on Instagram. Um, and we appreciate any type of publicity on either show. We've said it numerous times where we are not uh, social media gurus by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we just try to use it to push forward uh, news about the show and let you guys know when things are released and things like that. So that's right. We appreciate it very much. Um, and uh, did you want to talk real quick about uh, next week? It seems as I, I'm going out of town for the entire weekend, getting getting away for a bit, going to Utah, right? You up in the mountains, and uh, so I don't. I think it looks as though we're not going to have time to record next week. And this, we've been on quite a run, so it kind of sucks because I feel like we haven't missed an episode this entire year. I feel like I mean, Ooh, last year, the year before, we, we were taking like every third week off. We were taking a lot of time for ourselves. And mm-hmm. then we were like, what are we doing? We need to be more consistent. Right. And we really buckled down. 
And so, but I was trying to think, I'm just like, I can't find uh, in my schedule this upcoming week, uh, you know, the amount of time that we would need to be able to record. Right. Um, so, and so, study for the case. So I'm going to be gone from Thursday all the way to Sunday next week. So it's kind of tough. Well, we have plenty of things that can be released. We will figure out something, um, whether it's a Patreon episode or... Yeah, we'll put something out for you guys. Yeah, it'll be something something new. Uh, Even if for, Michael wants to do a solo podcast next week for True Crime Guys. Oh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> I'm putting no. pressure on you now. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll release something else. Maybe I'll release one of the Strange and Unexplained or something uh, yeah, as a preview. We'll, do we'll get something out there for you guys. But I think, I think a freeloader app would be would be the right thing to do here it's been know? a long time right it's, it's been, been a, a long, long time, time since we gave the freeloaders a, uh, another taste of uh right. patreon life and it's not our fault i mean it's not their no. fault rather it is our fault that we're not putting out an episode but it's not their fault so i think you know rewarding them with a new uh with another freeloader rep not a new one but a freeloader rep might be all right yeah it's had to have been what eight to ten months since we've done that where we released a patreon we've been very good about keeping our exclusive content exclusive for the paying customers right and we will continue to do that, but uh, yeah, one week off a year is not too bad. No, it's not too bad at all. So, all right, dude. And uh, we'll be back the following week for sure. And uh, yeah, that about does it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe out there. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys in the desert. We like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.